Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Well, hey there. Welcome to 50 Shades of Green Divas. <laughs> you got that right. I got it right. We, this is not the first take, so whatever. It's good. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's all, yeah. it's all good, and we're different shades today. Hey, I, but before we go too far, sure. I just want to let people know who we are. Okay, do that. Because we're in their ears, you know what I mean? We got to get, get them uh, to be... Uh, you know, in cyberspace <laughs> with us as well. So I'm Green Diva Meg. I'm Green Diva Max, and uh, we have various channels you can find us on, and, and you can get us on the web. And what is your handle? Oh, well, there's at the Green Divas on Instagram and Twitter, or at Green Diva Meg on both those. And then, of course, we're on Facebook, the Green Divas, mm-hmm. and there's Green Diva Meg there, too. This is good. And, and I... Got. I've got the many shades of green and get Facebook uh, and at TM Shades of Green for Instagram and for Twitter. And uh, we'd like to hear from you guys and, and get uh, what you enjoy and what want to listen to uh, in future. And shows. any minute now, we're going to get 50 Shades of Green Divas stuff, but we're not there yet. So yeah, just well, stay tuned. We're please. getting there. When spring arrives, we will be uh, doing, sprung. we will be springing. So we have a really interesting interview today for you. We had a chance to speak to Summer Rain Oaks, right? who's a beautiful – she was a model at one point. Mm-hmm. She's a talented author, entrepreneur. Seriously, she's done a lot of things, and she's got so much going on right now. Yeah, fashion and food and and what we should kind of stay away from. And and she also uh, is is a, a scientist. I mean, she yeah. she studied entomology and, uh, and environmental know, science. Buggy stuff. I know. Uh, <laughs> There's a and, funny line in there. You got to yeah. listen. I don't know if you remember the bug, if you saw Jurassic Park, and it was in <sighs> this, uh, they preserved the uh, the DNA of the, of the, the dinosaur. Yeah. And that's how they were able to start Jurassic Park. Oh, you're segueing, girl. That was good. So, That's good. So, so you know, things, you know, come from from movies and things you never think are real. Well, how and, much of Star Trek, by the way, just, you know, now I'm just totally going off the trail. Sure. But how much of the science fiction from Star Trek is mm-hmm. now starting to happen? Right. Right? It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, just uh, our smartphones right there. I don't know how smart my phone is, but... Well... It can be smart, it could be dumb, it could be what you like, or we can throw it in the river if there's still a river. So, <laughs> you know, okay, be, back on the trail. That, you were going somewhere. I was, go, I, I, was go, I was going somewhere with Jurassic Park and because uh, I had, you know, thumbing through things as, as we do being a green show, environmental show, uh, we find different things that kind of get our attention and Something really just got my attention. Uh, well, what's pro- interesting is it got both our attention. Yes. We were, both were reading this article. Right, right. I was reading it on one particular platform. You were reading it on another. <laughs> uh, and, and this one was actually, I'll, 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 I'll state the source, was NBCNews.com on February 9th, uh, 2017. And it pertains to the woolly mammoth and that this Dr. George Church 
would like also known as Frankenstein, like Frankenstein, <laughs> or or maybe he went to Jurassic Park. <laughs> I don't right. know, um, but he does genetic engineering, and he's a top guy, and he's uh, a close relative of the Asian elephant is the woolly mammoth, and he's using genetic engineering tool known as CRISPR, which I'm not quite sure. Does that sound like the salad, the place in your refrigerator where you keep salad? It could be because <laughs> mammoths are cold. You know, they like they like Crispy. cold. They like, like to be in cold. And and the whole idea of this this project to reintroduce a mammoth like animal to the tundra is to curb climate change. And I was like, how? Uh, and I'm going to just read the paragraph. So it kind of gives gives us what what this is about. Again, this NBCNews.com quote, Dr. Church, by allowing cold resistant elephants or mammoths to repopulate the tundra. Church says they will punch down the snow in wintertime, allowing cold air to come in. And in the summertime, they'll knock down trees, which are very absorbent. This will help the dead grass start to grow, he explains, and slow the release of carbon from the soil into the atmosphere, thus reducing climate change. Doesn't that seem like a, a bit of an extreme? Like there, there's got to be some different solutions that don't involve genetically creating a woolly mammoth. I don't know. I mean, now I, that seems that if he, he's using 15 genes, that's all they need to resurrect the creature. So, no, no. Now, here's the, here's my question. We were reading this in The Atlantic, which was a very long article. My husband and I were trying to flip through it on his mm -hmm. phone. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't get to the end of it. But my question is, and we haven't figured this out, are they going to impregnate an elephant in order to give birth? Or they, you you think that they're going to just grow this thing in a lab? Yeah, this is a Petri dish thing. I mean, <laughs> I, this is uh, – they, they, they got enough genes – to, and then they're they're also creating thirty more. They said thirty. Isn't this 30 science odd, fiction madness? There's another thirty odd essential genes. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm not talking about blue genes here. You know, so imagine what this could start. So it's got kind of pros and also cons. I mean, if you think about what oh, these Lordy. implications are, if they do create this, and what could happen. Next. Whatever happened to the little lammy that they did in Britain years ago? What was the name? It was of a clone, it? yeah. The, the little was a, clone thing. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean, because that's kind of the same technology, the, right? Yeah, in a, in a way, this is... Well, they clone... Cl cloning is genetics. I mean, they use, you know, DNA but from the other species. But the little lammy was born not grown. It wasn't right. born it, in a... It wasn't born. It was... It was uh, and it's, it's creepy. It, it's a, creepy. It's, it don't is, like it. It is creepy, and... Uh, I, I can't. I mean, not imagine. the woolly mammoths aren't cool, but yeah, as long as they don't become trophy hunter. Well, that's know. the thing. There's going to be all kinds of interesting. Yes. I mean, it's bad enough what they're doing to elephants. Could they just save some elephants, please? Right. Well, you know, that's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah. the, the, the trophy hunting and and the, and the elephants, Very the elephants for the for, for their tusks and, and the ivory. I mean, it, it's something that's very you know tough situation especially in africa and asia and they're trying to tone it down and reduce imports and blah 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 but the rhinos and the elephant you know the tusks are so, being used by terrorists to make money right so why wouldn't the woolly mammoth be even more being more exotic and more interesting and certainly more trophyish? i don't know well like, the only thing i can idea. think of is they're going to be in the tundra and it's very cold and Nobody so who, to go. who the heck wants to go to get a woolly mammoth unless you're 
the Trump brothers, you know, they'll go up there because <laughs> they that trophy would be the ultimate, you know. Oh, that's you know. so disturbing. Yeah. I hate all those. But pictures. but it does, you know, it does put into your brain like what, what what what's in the mind. Okay, so know? well, at least somebody's presumably they're really thinking about uh, climate change. solutions yeah. for climate change. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a kind of. He wants to make a woolly mammoth, and this is a good excuse that right, people it could will be. accept. Right. I think it's insanity, but yeah. but at least there is, there are people out there thinking about solutions, wacky as they may yeah, be. Yeah, this one has to be up there, I believe, in the kind of wacky category. Yeah, wacky category. Yeah, you know, that's when I saw it. I mean, there there are other things we can do, like stop coal production. You know, <laughs> you know, reduce the amount yeah. of coal in the air. And, more electric cars and, you know, or more, you know, fuel hydrogen cars. Right, and, and, and more solar and more wind energy. There are ways to do this yeah. and to, 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 to be less wasteful and to make products that are sustainable. And woolly mammoth, while it might be a cool thing, uh, it, it's, it's something kind of out of a, a science fiction movie. You know? A little bit like playing God. Right, Just like, saying. Could be. Anyway, nothing wacky about our guest today. She's wonderful Mm -hmm. and uh, really interesting and informative. So So. with that, our rant is over. Stay tuned. Great stuff coming. Uh, This is James Cromwell, and you've been fortunate enough to be listening to Fifty Shades of Green Divas, a wonderful program you should support. Thank you. It's been a while since we've spoken to Summer Rain Oaks. Hello, Summer. Hi there. Nice Summer Rain. Here. I love that name. I know. It might be snowing outside now, but <laughs> so much for the evergreen part of this show. <laughs> so for those that don't know Summer Rain, she is uh, an author, an entrepreneur. Her focus has been on sustainable living and sustainability she does have uh, an advanced degree, or she she graduated from Cornell. Study bugs, huh? Uh, yeah, environmental science and bugs. I was like, dude, bugs. what the bugs? I need help with bugs. Someday we'll have the bug conversation. You, you study the insects, but my favorite bugs, of course, is bunny. So you know, I, I, I I'm sorry, I had to do that. So I know you've got a lot going on right now, and one of the things is uh, Homestead Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And my God, you live in like a tropical paradise in your apartment or in your, your housing in Brooklyn. You want to just tell us quickly what that's all about? Uh, sure. I mean, um really think that I, since I was a little girl, I've always been bringing plants indoors and things like I just, uh, it was, it's something that I've always done. But I think um, being in the city, it's much harder to have a, a quality of life in the city, particularly New York City. And what I mean by that is it's just not always available to you. Maybe you right. don't have a yard or you don't have a park uh, nearby. And um, and I was able to get a beautiful space in Brooklyn, but it was like it's an old artist loft building. And my roommate at the time had moved out. This was about seven years ago. And it took a while for her spirit to leave, you know, at the house. It just, it's just strange when you live with somebody for, I'd been living with her for about five years prior to that. And when she left to go back to Brazil, it took me a while to realize that I had the place to myself. Mm. And the first thing that I actually got was a house plant. And it was a pretty sizable one. It's like, it was about three or four feet tall. It was a ficus lyrata, which is a fiddly fig quite popular in people's apartments and uh, and that just really changed the energy of the house 
and it really changed my energy as well. And, you know, I don't think I set out to have like this obsession around plants, but, you know, (laughs) the fact that it just really calmed me and changed that energy of the place, it made a difference. So um, since that time, I've now, I have probably over 300 different varieties, um, maybe 250 or so species. I'm still actually doing a, a proper count in the house. Wow. And um, I have a little, probably a little over 500 houseplants now that are in various stages of growth all throughout my home. And I think they gathered a lot of attention uh, over the last like number of six months. I think people are like, oh my God, look at that crazy plant lady. Or like, <laughs> oh my God, that's a woman after my own heart. Yeah. And and so I, I launched Homestead Brooklyn as uh, as a response to that, largely because there was such a positive response and there was no way for people to really interact with me. And so Homestead Brooklyn is really an opportunity to not only talk about, like, obviously gardening and houseplants, but to to how to live, uh, like, maybe simpler, um, quieter, more self-reliant life within the city, because I think that's... Yeah. Uh, what a lot of us strive for, particularly for those of us who've like left the country and have moved to the city. It's interesting. You have such a variety. Do you have any pets or is it just plants? Oh, no. I, I mean, I have, um, I have some uh, exotic insects that I, <laughs> I raise and um, occasionally this might creep people out, but occasionally I will use beneficial insects if I have a, um, a, a bad bug outbreak on my plants. Um, you know, that could obviously be very detrimental because I have so many. Right. Um, and so I've, I have recently, I had spider mites on this one plant and I released something called the green lacewing, which, you know, maybe people with greenhouses would know what it is or people who yeah, have, heard are fond of insects. Yeah, they're, they're a great, a great beneficial insect. I mean, it's so effective. So my, my plant is back in order i'm monitoring it but um the green lace wings just like took down the spider mites so quickly bye spider mites yeah it's like <laughs> it's interesting because i on your on your homestead brooklyn page you have a an article something about plants for people with black thumbs so, yeah uh, i mean i need so, to read that one. so how, yeah so what what's like your top five plants for people with black thumbs um, well, you know, I think first of all, I should say that there's a plant for everybody, even though some people would highly deny it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, even if you live in a, a cave and you could probably get artificial light for some plants, but my first plant would be a Sansevieria, which is called snake plant or fondly called mother-in-law's tongue. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, these are ones that are great because they fit into really skinny places like they they grow upright they look like you know snake tails that grow upright uh so and they come in all different styles but you generally see one that's a more like variegated dark green light green or one with like a yellow rim i have i have it and i I haven't killed them yet so yeah yeah they're they're very i've seen them in places where people do kill them but that's when they really don't water them at all um, another one too is like if you have a south facing window, if you're in this kind of, if you're in this hemisphere, then cacti and succulents are very easy to grow. In fact, in the winter months between like November and March, I would say you could pretty much not have water a cactus at all. So if you're really forgetful at watering, but you have great light in your house, then I would suggest that those are 
plants that are friendly for those of us who have black thumbs. And then uh, there's another plant called a dracaena. And dracaenas are also called corn plants, but you can find um, stumpier ones called fondly called Janet Craig's, uh, <laughs> probably named after some, you know, uh, Wisconsin woman. Right, <laughs> I have right, no idea. Right. That's funny. Um, but yeah, Janet Craig's are, are very easy. I have one kind of sitting in the corner away from any kind of direct light. One that's fallen out of favor uh, recently, but has been coming back just because they're, they are quite easy to take care of are aglionemas and there's another version also called diffenbachias Mm -hmm. and these these have are not necessarily friendly for pets but also not all pets eat plants so a lot of plants have um a lot of i get asked a question a lot of like what plants are not toxic to animals the reality is that most plants are actually quite toxic but it doesn't mean that the, your animal is going to eat them right. um, just because it's like a, it, it's plant mechanisms. That's their one way for in order to be able to prevent things from eating them. Yeah. But those are some really great plants, you know, pothos, philodendrons. Those are also very easy, but maybe a little bit more advanced than like a sansevieria or a cacti. Okay. Yeah, I've managed to kill. I'm really good outside, but I kill houseplants, except in the last few years, I've gotten better. And I have this one Swedish ivy that my friend gave me like 15 years ago. I can't believe it's still alive. I keep repotting it. It keeps happy. I took all oh, the plants great. from my do you have it? Um, do you have it in a lot of light? That's that's impressive. I, I, like I'm not actually then familiar with that because most ivies um, really do love uh, really do love light. Well, I don't know what its real name is, but we call it Swedish ivy. It's like you can't kill this thing. You can put it in a closet, and as long as you water <laughs> it, it might be tiny-leaved and a little bit, you know. This one's pretty happy. I must get a lot of diffused light in the corner that it is yeah. in the dining room. Interesting. Well, good for you. I'm glad you see you could find something. Oh, I see it. It says, if it's a Swedish ivy, this one, because a plexoranthus australis, is it? Is it... Um, is very succulent. It's a little bit succulent, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it's actually not a true ivy. Yeah, so no. if you had a regular ivy, it would be um, a no. hetera helix ivy, gotcha. and those are those require like a lot of light. But yeah. I have I have something similar to this, and it, it has a nice smell actually. And it's trailing all over the place. I I've made babies yeah. with it now. You know. <laughs> I don't want to get into your personal life. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That does sound wrong, doesn't it? I, I do have two 30-year-old Diefenbachia in my house. Oh, my God. And a uh, snake plant that my brother gave me before he moved to L.A., and I have them still. And my dog oh, hasn't – my dog doesn't go near them. I inherited yeah. one of my brother's plants, and I don't know if it's a corn plant. It's huge. It looks like a palm tree sort of, and it was like 35 years old. My brother's incredible with plants, and we just – his wife is like, get rid of these things. You've got – there's too many. So I inherited a few, and this thing started to look like it was going to die last year, and I was freaking out. I'm like, you can't kill my brother's 35-year-old plant. So my husband totally saved it. He hacked it off in the right place and nurtured it and loved it. And, and sang to it. He did, practically. Okay. Well, no. If he sang to it, it would die. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Wayne. Anyway. All right. <laughs> 
So I want to um, – this has all been really fun and I want to encourage people to go to homesteadbrooklyn.com or .org. No, no, it's um, homesteadbrooklyn.com, and gotcha. I also my my Instagram is homesteadbrooklyn. So if people really yeah. want to get their dose of green, they can go well, there. And you do offer a lot of very practical advice. But I want to talk about this book that you have coming out, Sugar Sugar Detox Me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to talk about this, sister. Yeah. So what's <laughs> it's it's an issue that I think um, you know many of us go through, and I think part of my realization. I, I got into the project really because I always felt that sugar was the one thing that separated me from optimal health. And yeah. when I started to work in more sustainable food systems, I really then got to take a, a closer look at what I was eating. And I was like, okay, well, now now that I'm here, I'm going to have like my food projects kind of bubble up to the top. And one of those was a was really quite a personal project. And I'm, you know, I feel very lucky because I'm not somebody who has dealt with any kind of metabolic disorder or uh, an amount of weight gain that was difficult for me to take off. But I had always had massive sugar cravings since I was a young girl, and I was the only person in my family to have it. So it really led me on a little bit more of like a Nancy Drew-like investigation to get to the bottom of this. And Really, what as you, you as you do this on a personal level, you start to realize that so many of the things afflicting our health is not it's it's not the they're symptoms they're symptoms of a really diseased food system. So, you know, there's been a lot of amazing books that have um, come out. Most notably, Gary Taub's book, uh, A Case Against Sugar, and Robert Lustig's book, and his you know watershed talk that he gave that gave like got like six million views, and people are really coming to terms that sugar and processed food doesn't do a body good at all. Mm. If I could borrow a marketing line from from (laughs) the milk industry, but it, and so I I think we could all agree that that kind of stuff um, could, could get out of our diets or we could reduce it. And so sugar detox me really is a response. It's a cookbook. Actually, it's my first cookbook and Mm. it's a guide and I really started to think through things on a very, very practical level because if you are really trying to get sugar, which is an addictive substance to many people, if you're trying to get that out of your diet, then you need to create less barriers and less challenges. So I really thought through, I think the crux of the book for me is really the, um, the meal maps that I set up. So it's like if I give you 20 ingredients, then you could go and get those 20 ingredients and I could teach you how to make anywhere between eight and 12 recipes out of those 20 ingredients. So you don't have any food waste. It's really affordable. It's using ingredients that you know and that can easily be found no matter where you are so that it's not like you're paying like 600 bucks for precious ingredients at the the supermarket. Exotic, yeah. Yeah, so for me, it it was really about taking a whole new approach and Tom Philpot, who writes for Mother Jones yeah. and does the podcast The Bite, had a really excellent article within the last week about how cookbooks are really antiquated, about how we actually cook in this day and age where it's like, you know, we seem commenting too precious of ingredients. You know, how do you use your leftovers? And recipe books don't really take you through that. And, and I really feel that that's like what Sugar Detox Me is is a recipe that really thinks through it on a practical level because it's like the things that I do for myself and if you're going to make a behavior change 
you've got to get into a routine that makes sense for your lifestyle. I have done this. I'll tell you the hardest thing for me was that I'm a condiment queen. I love condiments and I had to start making my own or finding ones that were, you know, and it's hard to find them where they're sort of simple, natural, organic Organic, and sugar free. You know, it's usually sugar free with like a thousand other crappy things in it. So I started to learn to make my own ketchup. So in the beginning, whenever I did this two week or three week or whatever, the the beginning of it's a little intense clearing, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I, I learned to make my own condiments and the hardest part was that I I, I, I found that I was cooking everything every, because it's better for me of course yeah but prepared foods are like the devil when it comes to sugar and many other products so I found like oh my god I'm cooking like round the clock all I do is shop cook clean shop cook yeah. clean and yeah. it's okay well ketchup is is a big no no oh, yeah. I mean that's what? like when when Reagan wanted to put ketchup as a vegetable, that's if there's any school lunch programs oh, uh, left yeah. under this current regime. <laughs> but uh, it kind of blew my mind when <laughs> that article came out about yes, we're going to put ketchup on the on the the list of of foods as a vegetable with everything in it that will kill you. But okay, it's good for you, kitties. Go. You know, go use it. Right, sugar outweighs any potential actual vegetable tomato presence, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And actually, it was strange because I was at Expo West recently, which if anybody's familiar with the Natural Products Expo West, it's, you know, all these natural products. And my biggest takeaway there was like, my first thing was being just completely overwhelmed by how many products are on the market right now at this moment. And then the second takeaway, you know, I looked at everything through the lens of sugar. And I, and you could come out with like, tons of different samples and foods I probably didn't eat 95% of what was on that floor because there was so much sugar in each of the products and I was like wait we're at a natural product health food or health you know health product expo and yeah what is all the sugar doing in the product I even went to get this Japanese style yogurt and I was like oh that's interesting I'm like I'll take your plain variety and I tasted it, you know, largely because I have taken sugar relatively out of my diet. And yeah. I had it and I was like, oh, my God, I'm like, this is really sweet. And he's like, yeah, it's 15 grams. And, you know, 15 grams of sugar for anybody who's it's out not, there yeah. for a woman is more than half your daily um, needs, uh, not needs, the upper limit of yeah. what you should be eating because we actually don't need sugar in our diet. So it's it's uh, free sugars, and I'm talking about free yeah, sugars. Yeah. So it so it was it was a real eye opener for me, and I was like, gosh, where are the where are the oranges and apples and this like natural products expo? They're just yeah, not there. No. I have a question about maple syrup. Do you use maple syrup, and do you recommend? I one? I don't, um, and I think that you know the the crux of sugar detox me is really removing free sugars, and what I mean by free sugars is sugar that is not bound by fiber. And, and that's really for, you know, I, you know, on my, on the website, sugardetox.me, I have people go through a 10 day and 30 day cleanse and, you know, to really stick with it and to gradually reduce um, sugars out of their diet, starting with their beverages. And the reality is like when we're drinking uh, sugar or we have sugar that's without fiber and that could be a natural sugar like a honey or a maple syrup or it could be an unnatural 
artificial sweetener. We're just trying to cleanse ourselves from sweetness, period. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And it could be even stevia because there's just not enough research or evidence out there or studies that have been done about whether sweetness on our palate, whether it's stevia or whether it's regular sugar, whether it's beet sugar, whether it's like dextrose, whatever it is, how it actually affects our hormones and brains. We know that sugar itself changes the biochemistry of our, of our bodies. And so it's part of the reason what causes the addiction cycle. Mm-hmm. And whether it's maple syrup, whether it's fruit juice, that stuff all has the same effect. Now, if you think about sugar in real life, like if you think about where honey is, honey is behind a hive with stinging bees. Agave is, you know, behind a thorny plant. Maple syrup is tapped from a woody tree. These things are really hard to get to and it only comes at a certain time of year. So, but now, nowadays you could just go to aisle nine and see this stuff in squeeze bottles and we're just having way too much of it. So mm-hmm. nature holds on to these things and that, and we should like listen to nature in a way of how maybe we should be consuming our food stuff. And, right. In other words, should... It, it should be a rare and delightful treat on mm-hmm. occasion exactly. rather than an everyday thing. And I'll tell you, I, I just use maple syrup and a little bit of stevia from time to time. And I don't eat a lot of the sugary processed foods anyway. So now I, th- what did I eat? Uh, some kind of ice cream. It was like a cashew cream ice cream, and it was so disgustingly sweet. I yeah. couldn't even. I, cu- I couldn't even eat it. Yeah, because when you eat it after you I'm don't eat it, it, you go. Ugh. But really, now I feel like I really I gotta go on a, like a real, real detox and get rid of my maple syrup. <laughs> it's probably good for me. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting I going get to your different... book. Yeah, yeah, please, please do. I'd love for you, you to look at it and um, try some of the recipes and, and really just let me know what you think. Yeah, I would love to. And on that note, let's tell people about how they can find the book and how they can learn more about this because we do have to wrap up, unfortunately. Um, yeah, they could go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, I should actually be in some good placement within Barnes & Noble too, so I might be in the new voices in the cookbook section. Yeah. Um, or they could just go to my website at sugardetox.me and get the information there. Sugardetox.me, M-E, yes. correct? Okay. Yep. Love it. And, and remember to go check out homesteadbrooklyn.com. It's so nice to talk to you again, Summer Rain, and I'm always impressed with all that you're doing and inspired. So I'll, I'm going to go get your book and then <laughs> I'll be pestering you with email. Right. Please do. And then, Please I, do. and then I won't be listening to the Archies doing the song Sugar, Sugar. So I'll, I'll, I'll have to take it. Honey, honey. <laughs> we have to sing like every show we come up with something. We always come up with some crazy thing, but that's okay. Uh, so thank you so much for, for giving us all this great info. We would love to have you back at a future time. And people, go go check out the book and the website and cut your sugar down. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to The 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and The Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com.